Hi, crime junkies. It's Ashley here. And you all know how ready I am at any moment to drop down the rabbit holes of mysterious cases to look for answers. And there's actually one right now that I cannot stop spiraling about with more rabbit holes than I can count. In this season of Counterclock, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra begins investigating Doug Wag Jr.'s mysterious death after he was found struck on a strip of railroad tracks. But the more Delia has dug into this case, the stranger things have gotten. And you guys, there is truly so much going on. A string of mysterious deaths, a bank robbery gone wrong, conspiracy, corruption, and it may all be connected. You can binge all of Counterclock Season 6 right now in the Crime Junkie Fan Club, or you can listen to new episodes weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Recently, I've been sleeping flat on my belly, and my chiropractor said that if I'm going to do that, I should really have as firm a mattress as possible. So... I didn't have to get a new mattress. I just cranked my sleep number up all the way to 100, and I've avoided any lower back pain that sometimes comes with belly sleeping. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers, and I am dropping in your feed today to share a story with you, a story that has already proven how powerful our AudioChuck community is. Just a couple of months ago, we released an episode about Awachigi Osceola on my other weekly true crime show, The Deck, and the impact has been incredible. Now, this is a story where if your blood doesn't boil, you might need to get that checked because the lead detective is positive she was murdered and positive he knows who murdered her, but he can't move forward with an arrest because of a technicality. When we originally aired this episode, we asked our deck listeners to contact the Oklahoma Attorney General's office, specifically asking them to do a formal independent review of the methodology used during a Wachakee's autopsy. And get this, within a week of airing, the lead detective told us that the Attorney General's office received a flood of contacts. And guess what? The AG's office reached out to the detective to learn more about the case and then requested the entire case file for review. Our deck listeners did that. But our work isn't over, and that is where you come in. This case needs your support, and we need our crime junkies to continue putting pressure on the Oklahoma Attorney General's office to encourage them to move forward with this case. So that's why I'm sharing a Wachagee story with you here in the Crime Junkie feed. I know so many of you already listened to the deck. Maybe you forgot to write in. This is your reminder. And if you haven't heard a Wachagee story before, please listen close. And also know that every week on the deck, we share cases just like this one. Cases that deserve your attention and truly are in desperate need of it. So again, crime junkies, 
listen closely, and then take action. Everything you need to know will be at the end of the episode, and it's also in the show notes right now. This is the story of Awachigi Osceola, the Eight of Diamonds from Oklahoma. On September 25, 2013, Tony Brown was hanging out at home in Anadarko, Oklahoma, when she saw a Facebook status from her friend Awachiki. It had been posted earlier that morning and read, quote, Moose is Trina KM. Tony knew Awachiki was dating a guy named Moose, but she wasn't sure what KM meant. Just then, Tony's phone alerted her to a text from Awachiki that said the exact same thing as her Facebook status. Moose is Trina KM. Awachiki wasn't answering any calls or texts, and Tony was freaked out. So she rounded up three of their friends to go check on her. The group made the roughly hour-long drive from Anadarko to Awachiki's apartment in Norman, Oklahoma. And when they pulled up, their feelings of unease only grew. They saw that the door was slightly open from having been kicked in. They could tell because there was a shoe print on the door and the frame was splintered. So Tony and the group didn't even go in. They called police instead. As soon as Norman police officers got inside, they saw cabinets and drawers left open and stuff everywhere. But when they called out to see if anyone was home, no one answered. It was in an upstairs bedroom that police found Awachiki. She was laying on the floor, face down, with her sheets and comforter tossed over her head. They checked for signs of life, but she had clearly been dead for a while, though it wasn't entirely clear how she had died because there were no visible wounds. In her room, the bed looked as if someone stripped it in a hurry. The mattress was bare except for three pillows, one of which had blood on it, and there were clothes and stuff tossed all around the room. In fact, the rest of the house was a mess as well. It looked as if the living room, kitchen, and bedroom had all been ransacked. They found another bloody pillow stuffed in a dresser in the bedroom. But when they went searching for Awachigi's cell phone and stuff like her cash and cards, they couldn't find any of that in the apartment. So they were obviously wondering if someone had robbed the place. Officers secured the scene and went outside to tell Awachigi's friends what they'd found. But it was what they didn't find that concerned Tony and her friends the most, because police didn't mention anything about finding anyone else in the home. And Tony knew that Awachigi lived with her five-year-old daughter. Immediately, officers started looking for the young girl. They weren't sure if they were dealing with an abduction or what, but the first place they checked, the first place any investigator checks when a child is missing, is with their living parents or guardians. And Tony and Awachigi's other friends said that her dad lived back in Anadarko. Sure enough, when officers tracked him down, they found the young girl and determined that she was safe. Still, they weren't sure what involvement Awachigi's ex could have had in her murder since they knew the two had recently divorced and had gone through custody hearings. So they brought him in for an interview. The ex-husband cooperated and said that he had been in Anadarko all week and he had no idea who might have killed Awachigi. He said she actually had full custody of their daughter, but it just so happened that week their daughter had been with him. 
Police had no reason not to believe the man's alibi, so they moved on to see what else they could find out about Awachigi's personal life. When it was her turn to give a statement, Tony filled police in about the weird text and Facebook status about Moose. Tony said it didn't sound like Awachigi, who usually texted in full sentences and didn't use abbreviations. Tony also told police since moving to Norman, Owachiki had been online dating and not too long ago she had started seeing a man who went by Moose, and that guy lived in Oklahoma City. Studying Owachiki's Facebook status, Moose is trying to KM, police deciphered it as Moose is trying to kill me. So it was imperative that they find Moose ASAP, which they did. He was in Oklahoma City about a half an hour north of Norman. Moose was shocked to hear about Owachiki's death. And he was willing to talk to police, telling detectives the two hadn't known each other very long. When he was shown the Facebook status that mentioned him by name, Moose immediately gave an alibi. But just as investigators started working to verify Moose's whereabouts over the last few days, they became aware of a weird call that had been made from Awachigi's apartment the day she was murdered. It was 2911 and made by Awachigi herself. It's difficult to make out what's going on, but obviously something was wrong. And minutes later, Awachigi called back, but this time her tone was different. Norman, number one, what is the location of your emergency? Yes, uh, I accidentally dialed the wrong number, pressed emergency call by accident. Everything is okay there? Yes, there is. Everything's All fine. All right. Thank you. The dispatcher never routed a police officer to her apartment, and officials didn't put two and two together until the next day when they realized that there was a murder investigation underway at the same location. Norman police detective Jim Parks, who's working the case today, has analyzed those phone calls over and over. That tells me either she or the male that you heard in the first call was afraid that the cops were going to show up because 911 was called. So she was forced to make a second call saying, hey, everything's okay. It was an accidental call, yada, yada. The fact that nobody had been called to at least do a welfare check at the apartment surprised police. It was protocol to alert patrol officers of an emergency call. And they couldn't help but wonder if they had been dispatched, if they would have interrupted the attack. Of course, no one can say for sure that Owachigi would still be alive if police had been dispatched. But it's an element of the case that's always frustrated her family. In fact, Detective Park said that there ended up being an internal investigation and the dispatcher was actually let go because of the whole thing. The 911 calls made police lean further into their theory that whoever tore up Owachigi's apartment likely killed her. The calls also provided a decent jumping off point for the investigative timeline because now they had confirmation that Owachigi had been alive and not alone at her apartment around 6 a.m. the morning of September 24th. That detail also helped police confirm Moose's alibi, which checked out. He was in Oklahoma City when Owachigi called 911. 
Around this time, officers in Norman made arrangements for another police department to notify Awachigi's mom, Roberta, of her death because she lived in Florida. I was getting ready to leave my house, and I walked out the front door, and that's when I saw two Seminole police cars coming into my driveway. And I thought to myself, oh, no. (sighs) Which one is in jail? I wasn't thinking murder. And my life, my life stopped right there when I was informed. The Seminole Police Department assured Roberta that detectives in Oklahoma were working hard to find her daughter's killer. But it didn't matter. Roberta was on the next flight out. My tribe um, offered to send me out there to be with her body. So I landed in Norman. When I got to her apartment, her front door was kicked in. The place was a shambles. So looking around and seeing what I saw after the police had gathered evidence and whatnot, I felt terror. I felt warning. I felt anger. After talking to Roberta, police learned that Awachigi was born and raised on the Seminole tribe's Big Cypress Reservation, which is in the Florida Everglades, about two hours northwest of Miami. Everybody knows Awachigi. She had that kind of personality. She was, Awajiki means star in Seminole language. And that's exactly what she was. She was a shining star. She was a bright star to where everybody knew her, recognized her. Not only that, but Osceola is a prominent name in the Seminole tribe. They're descendants of Chief Osceola, who's a famous tribal leader, Police and relatives wondered if Awachigi's killer knew that she received a monthly stipend from the tribe because of her prominence and if she had been targeted because of that. Whoever kicked in her door was there to, to get something. I had to replace a ignition keys to her Cadillac. So apparently maybe he tried to take her car, but that didn't happen. Her purse... Her bank account was emptied out, so there was aggression. Whoever did that had one thing in mind, was to get what he wanted and leave her like trash, like she was nothing. Pretty soon, detectives made some progress by backtracking Awachigi's bank records. They discovered that she had used her ATM card to withdraw $500 on September 23rd at a gas station near her apartment. And just to double-check that it was her using her card and not someone else, detectives got surveillance video from the 7-Eleven, which clearly showed Awachigi going in and getting cash and leaving. Detectives also noted what she was wearing in that video because it was the same clothes that she was found in. Bank records showed another almost $500 was taken out of her account on September 24th from an ATM at a nearby casino. As police worked the ATM leads, they were still waiting to hear from the medical examiner. The autopsy was taking longer than usual, so at this point, they still didn't know how she died. Though they did learn that Awachiki had either had sex or been sexually assaulted recently because there was semen present. 
Unfortunately, examiners couldn't tell if she had been sexually assaulted or if the sex act was consensual. They just knew that it had happened within the last few days. Through more interviews, investigators learned that Awachiki was a cocaine user. And her friends said that the reason she moved to a college town like Norman, at least in part, was to be closer to a dealer that she knew out of Oklahoma City, whose name was Rob Ross, better known by his customers as just Cocaine Rob. Police looked up Rob and saw that he was a felon with a long history of drug-related charges. So with that intel, they made moves to track him down. And they also worked to get his phone records along with the Wachikis. And what they found was very interesting. Cell records showed that Awachiki and Rob had been texting and talking on the phone up until the morning of September 24th. And as they suspected, the last text sent from Awachiki's phone was the one to her friend received about Moose trying to kill her. But they learned that that text wasn't sent from her apartment. It was sent from the Riverwind Casino, which was a few miles away. And it was the same location where her ATM card had been used the day that she was killed. Detectives headed straight to the casino to review surveillance footage. And sure enough, they spotted Rob at the casino the morning of September 24th. The videos showed Rob at a slot machine talking to a man, walking through the casino with a woman. And at 7.23 a.m., he was at the ATM machine. Rob used a debit card to withdraw just under $500, which perfectly matched Awachigi's bank statements. Bingo. Now, by the way, we made several efforts to try and get in touch with Rob for this episode, even leaving messages on a working cell number that we obtained, but no luck. So police were really closing in on Rob, but they wanted to be sure that they had all the information possible before arresting him. So they identified the two people that he was seen with at the casino, and they brought them in for questioning. The man that Rob was seen chatting with at the slot machines cooperated and told police that he just happened to be at the casino that morning and ran into Rob. He said that the two had served time in jail together in the past and Rob had tried to actually recruit him to sell drugs. The man said he didn't know anything about a murder and that Rob hadn't mentioned anything about it. So next, police interviewed the woman Rob had been with in the casino. The two were actually spotted on surveillance together in her car in the casino parking lot too. And what she had to say basically sealed the deal for police. The woman admitted to police that Rob was her dealer and sometimes she would give him rides in exchange for drugs. She said that Rob had asked her for a ride early on the morning of the 24th and she took him to an apartment complex in Norman. She told detectives that per Rob's request, she dropped him off across the street from the apartment that he needed to visit. The woman said that Rob asked her to wait for him, so she did. But at least an hour went by, and finally Rob called her and said to pick him up at a nearby stop sign, like a completely different location than where she dropped him off. You can actually see a map marking these areas on our website, thedeckpodcast.com. The woman said that when Rob got to her car, he was, quote, sweaty and nervous. She also said that he had some items with him, but she couldn't tell what because he stuffed them under the passenger seat. Then he asked her to take him straight to the casino, so she did. Detectives reviewed surveillance footage that showed Rob and the woman getting to the casino around 7.15 the morning of September 24th. Then, two minutes later, at 7.17 a.m., the Facebook status was posted to a Wachigi's page, Moose is trying to K.M. 
After they parked, Rob was seen on surveillance throwing something into a trash can in the casino parking lot. After going in and visiting the ATM and playing those slots, Rob and the woman can be seen on video leaving the casino parking lot in her car at 8.08 a.m. Now, the woman even agreed to take detectives to retrace their route the morning of the 24th. She pointed out the apartment complex where she dropped off Rob, which was a Wachagee's building. But because she parked across the street, she didn't see which apartment he went into. Detectives figured it was a Wachagee's phone that Rob tossed into the trash in the casino parking lot. But unfortunately, by the time they went looking for it, the trash had been emptied and the phone was long gone. But that didn't mean that they couldn't connect him to the phone. Along with placing him at the casino where the text and Facebook status were made from, detectives found messages that Rob had sent to other friends on his phone, where instead of typing out trying to, he wrote Trina, T-R-Y-N-A. It's the same spelling as a Wachagee's Facebook post and group text. By this time, there was little doubt in the minds of detectives that Rob was their guy. They needed to find him and quickly, but it wasn't easy. Rob didn't have a house or apartment or any address of his own. He was known to stay with friends and family in Oklahoma City, but he bopped around to different couches all the time. They finally were able to track him down several days later, and on October 5th, investigators sat him down for an interview. And to their surprise, he was willing to talk. Sort of. Do you understand how all this looks to us? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get that, right? Yeah. And how does it look to us? I mean, I'm not so sure, but I know who y'all want. Our reporting team got copies of Rob's interrogation, and he's super hard to understand. But he said something to the effect of, I'm not who you all want. But the detective wasn't having it. If you're not the person that killed her, which I think you are, I'll just be straight up with you. Mm. And I told you there's different levels of homicide. Mm. You're like, okay, with all this evidence and people and the 911 call mm-hmm. and you making her call 911 back, this to me looks premeditated. To that, Rob just kind of groaned in response. He didn't actually say anything. Then the detective asked to see Rob's shoes because he wanted to compare the tread to the shoe print that was on Awachagi's front door. Rob was like, okay, fine, but that won't prove anything because I have like 10 pairs of shoes. But detectives could see on surveillance that the shoes that he was wearing on the morning of the murder were the same, but they didn't have to reveal that to him. Next, the detective asked Rob about Awachagi's Facebook status, and Rob said that he hadn't seen it. But the detective just lays it all out there. I know that you typed that on her phone. I know you hit the Facebook icon on her phone and you're able to type that to make it look like Moose was involved. The investigator was like, listen, everyone is talking. We have so many witnesses and all the fingers are pointing in your direction. So this is your moment to give your side of the story. And finally, Rob said, okay, fine. I was at a Wachagee's apartment that morning, but we just got drunk on Patron and had sex. Rob said he did not kick down the door. He said that Awachigi let him in and that he knew nothing about her calling 911. Rob said after they had sex, Awachigi let him borrow her debit card and even gave him her PIN number because she owed him money for cocaine. And that's when he went to the casino. Was it premeditated or not? That's the main thing. I don't know. If it's not premeditated, I can tell the DA that it's not premeditated. 
You didn't plan on going over there to kill her. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference in this case. Yeah. And she deserves justice. Um, you, I know you don't want to look at her photo. That's fine. Maybe you're trying to forget about her. Um, but it's you know it she hurt. I mean, hurt. She was a good person, and I know I didn't do it. If you couldn't understand him, Rob said she was a good person, and I know I didn't do it. Rob told police that after he left the casino, he went back to Oklahoma City and met his cousin, and they went to their aunt's funeral. Detectives confirm this funeral story, but what Rob said after didn't make sense. He said it was after his aunt's funeral on the 24th that he learned a body had been found in Norman. At first, he said the information came from the internet, and later he said a friend called and told him. But police knew that both stories were BS because her body wasn't discovered until the night of the 25th. When asked what happened to a Wachigi's debit card, Rob said that he had tossed it out the window on the way home from his aunt's funeral because he was worried the cops were after him over a drug deal. So you might be wondering if police arrested Rob right then and there, but they didn't. They released him after he asked for a lawyer. But before he was released, Rob allowed police to inspect his shoe tread, and he provided a DNA swab. Detectives sent off Rob's DNA to see if it matched the semen found in a Wachagi, And they even sent off the shoe markings to an expert to see if they matched the print on the doorframe. And at about this time, finally, the autopsy findings came back. And the results baffled detectives. The autopsy showed Awachiki had injuries to the back of her neck, which police said were consistent with strangulation. But the medical examiner listed her death as unknown. The cause of death being undetermined wasn't the surprising part. It was that the examiner also categorized her manner of death as unknown. Manner of death is the category where they're supposed to say if the victim was murdered or if the death was accidental or what. So here they were ready to charge cocaine Rob with murder, and now they couldn't because they had no homicide ruling. It basically meant the ME didn't see enough physical evidence to prove one way or another how Awachiki died. It was more than clear, at least to investigators, that the last moment of Awachiki's life was met with violence. Cuts and bruises were noted on different places of her body, as well as traces of blood on her pillow. There wasn't enough blood left at the scene to be helpful, though. Investigators did collect it, and they tried to have it tested to see if it was the Wachagis or not. There just wasn't a big enough sample to get any results. But thanks to toxicology findings, now they knew that there was no way a Wachagi overdosed because there was no alcohol in her system, and there was very little cocaine detected, like trace amounts that were barely even measurable. A Wachagi's mom, Roberta, was devastated over the ruling. I don't know what else to say about that, except I'm not going to accept undetermined. Something has to happen, or somebody has to say something to change that. To make the case even stronger, DNA came back confirming Rob had had sex with the Wachagi, but he had admitted that much. So police asked Rob, if the sex had been consensual, why did Awachagi end up bleeding and dead on her bedroom floor shortly after he left her apartment? Now, he said he didn't know and that she was alive when he left to go to the casino. But that wasn't good enough for the Norman Police Department. 
So they asked the local district attorney to charge Rob with Awachagi's murder anyway. But prosecutors wouldn't because of the undetermined ruling. So there was nothing else detectives could do. They truly felt as if Rob had gotten away with murder. And years went by and nothing happened. That is until 2017, when Detective Parks reopened the case. He re-examined all the evidence, and in 2019, he decided it was worth getting a second opinion on Awachigi's manner of death. One of his FBI contacts helped him recruit the assistance of the Armed Forces Medical Examiner's Office in Maryland. They agreed to take a second look at the case and its original findings. And in April 2019, six years after Awachigi's death, the federal ME was like, yeah, there's no doubt she was murdered. The manner of death was homicide. The cause of death was uh, homicide by unknown means. And they provided a uh, several-page report on why homicide by unknown means can be a justifiable ruling of homicide. With the other Emmy's determination in hand, this was Parks's shot, his Hail Mary. And so I presented that to the district attorney's office, and they were pretty excited at first, and then later decided, no, we're going to we have to we have to work with the state medical examiner's office in all of our cases. We're going to stick by their ruling, and we're not going to file. We reached out to the Oklahoma's office of the chief medical examiner to try and better understand their findings in this case, but they declined to be interviewed. In a letter to Detective Parks, in response to his asking them to at least recategorize Awachigi's death as a homicide, the chief ME said, quote, Whereas the circumstances of death are indeed suspicious, I find it inappropriate to insert any reference to manner of death into the cause of death statement. The cause of death in this case is undetermined. The manner is best classified as undetermined, end quote. In the early days of the investigation, police interviewed everyone in Awachigi's orbit. Her friends, an ex-husband, her boyfriend, her family, all of whom had alibis that checked out. Only one person could be placed at Awachigi's apartment on the morning of September 24th. Do you have an opinion as to who may have taken your daughter's life? I'm going to say that according to my detective... He indicates that all evidence leads to one person. I want justice for my baby. In November of 2020, the Seminole Tribe wrote letters to the Oklahoma Attorney General's office and called for a formal independent review of the methodology used during Awachigi's autopsy. But as far as Detective Parks knows, nothing came of it. At the end of the day, he wants to see charges brought against Rob, even if it's for second-degree murder. You know, I can I can point the finger. Did Norman Police Department fall down on the on this case a little bit? Yeah, we should have sent a patrol officer on that first 911 call. There should have been somebody there within a few minutes. But we did what we could to rectify that problem. Should the medical examiner's office have better supervision over their pathologist? Absolutely. They have done nothing to reconcile their mistake. Should the district attorney file a case against Robert Ross for the death of a Washagi? Absolutely. 
because it's the right thing to do. Leave it up to a jury to decide whether he's guilty or not guilty. But it's the right thing to do. It needs to be done. To this day, no arrests have been made in connection to Awachiki's death. Her missing phone and debit card have never been found. Roberta told us she hopes to one day see the whites of the eyes belonging to the person who stole her daughter's future. I would say that there are measures that have been put in place with the Lord. And he will seek justice for me and Owajiki. And whoever did this to her, he's going to answer to the Lord. He's going to have to answer to God. If you're walking away from this case as unsettled as I am, the family and the tribe encourage you to do what they did. Send more letters to the Oklahoma Attorney General's office and call for a formal independent review of the methodology used during Owachagi's autopsy. We will put the contact information for the Oklahoma Attorney General's office in the show notes and on the website. We need to show them that people are paying attention and that Owachagi deserves justice. And if you have any additional information about the murder of Owachagi Osceola, you're asked to call the Norman Police Department in Oklahoma at 405-366-5208. The Deck is an audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve?